We're in Luke chapter 15. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Luke uh, chapter 15. Really excited to teach this section of scripture. We have the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. It was last year in June, the first few days of June, and a young boy by the name of Riker in Troy, Montana, rural area of Montana, he just wandered away from his house and wandered out into uh, the mountains. He was lost for two days, and could you imagine the panic upon his parents as they were searching for their son, searching for their son, and he was found, he ended up going into a shed, a log shed that was adjacent to a cabin, a vacation cabin, and these folks came up for their vacation, and then they heard this noise in the shed, and they found Riker, and he ended up being okay, but I can't imagine that feeling as a parent of, man, my three-year-old son is lost in, in the mountains, and praise the Lord, he was okay. And what we find in this section of Luke 15 is this passionate pursuit, this passionate pursuit for the lost sheep, the lost coin, and also the lost son. And it shows God's heart for us, that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 15. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him uh, to hear him. They're drawing near to hear Jesus. Tax collectors and sinners are drawn to Jesus. I hope that that's still the case today, isn't it? That people understand who Jesus is and they understand that he's the solution for their sins and sinners and tax collectors are drawn to hear Jesus. If you remember last week, Jesus gave some pretty difficult teachings about being his disciple But this didn't prevent tax collectors and sinners from pressing in and wanting to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees and the scribes, they're upset that Jesus is spending time with sinners and tax collectors. That he's receiving sinners, that he's eating with them. And they're upset and they're, and they're angry. And it causes Jesus then to go into this parable, to go into this story. Where do you see yourself in this? You know, when you look at this, do you, do you see yourself as a sinner and are so thankful that Jesus doesn't shun you, doesn't shame you, but invites you to his table that's willing to share a meal with you? Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. He loves us enough to not leave us in our place of sin but he received sinners, and today he received sinners. Or do we find ourselves in this place of the Pharisees and the scribes where we're upset with the love that Jesus gives to sinners? If Jesus were alive today here on earth in February 2023, would we be upset with who Jesus was hanging out with? Would we be surprised who Jesus was, was hanging out with? We go, Jesus, do you realize? He's like, yeah, I realize exactly who they are and what they're going through. In verse three, so he spoke this parable to them. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, doesn't leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? A shepherd has a hundred sheep and he leaves the 99 to go find the one sheep that was lost. Logic would say, well, I've got the 99, What's the 1%? I've just lost one sheep. We don't know what he does with these 99 sheep in the wilderness as he goes to look 
for the one. This is a heartfelt decision. This is an emotional decision from the shepherd of saying, I love this lost sheep and I am going to passionately pursue it till I find it. Notice that the shepherd says, I'm not coming back until I have found this sheep. Sheep are easily to go astray, aren't they? And once they're astray, once they're separated from the rest of the the herd, they become very vulnerable. Just like us, we easily go astray. And when we're astray, we become vulnerable. In verse 5, and when he found it, he lay it on his shoulders rejoicing. When he found this sheep, he doesn't shame the sheep. He's not upset at the sheep. He's not, how could you? But he's just filled with joy. I have found this sheep and puts the sheep on his shoulders. And Jesus is the good shepherd. And he comes and rescues us from our sin. In Romans 5 verse 6 it says, For when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus is the way. He's the shepherd that puts us upon his shoulders. He's not just a way. He's not rules and regulations. We trust Christ. We embrace Christ. We're we're in Christ. This shows the love that the shepherd has for the sheep. I wonder if there was some difficult terrain for this sheep to traverse on the way back. And the shepherd's like, I'm just going to make this easier. I'm going to put you on my shoulders. In verse 6, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, and he says to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. The joy from the shepherd, he's wanting everyone to know. So he goes to his friends, he goes to his neighbors, and he's saying, hey, it's party time. Would you rejoice with me because I have found this sheep that was lost? I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. God has more joy over that one sinner who comes to repentance, just like the shepherd than the 99 who are reached, the 99 who don't have a need for repentance. It's interesting that Jesus mentions repentance because the sheep can't repent, but in order for us to go from being lost to found, we have to repent. We've got to understand that we're sinners, understand our need for Christ to be our savior, turn from our sin and and to trust Christ for salvation. Do you picture God to be emotionless? I think a lot of times we do. We're like, God doesn't have any emotions, but we're created in the image of God. And God has joy when one person comes into the kingdom. One person. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, there was a party in heaven. The angels rejoicing. God's rejoicing. He's like, yes, they have come to know my son. They've received grace. They're my adopted son and daughter. That's how much God values each person. So heaven could be this continual eruption of joy, of people trusting Christ as their Savior and the angels rejoicing and the Father rejoicing, one sinner who repents and enters into the kingdom. This morning, if you're thinking about trusting Christ as your Savior and you choose to repent of your sin and cry out to Jesus for salvation, man, you cause heaven to erupt in joy. There's there's great joy over one who is lost and is found. So now the lost coin Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, doesn't light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Have you ever lost something that you just tore up the whole house until you found it? It was your cell phone, wasn't it? (laughs) Maybe your cell phone? 
Maybe your remote control, your t- like where in the world did my remote go? I am notorious, I am infamous for misplacing things. I oftentimes r- r- misplace my wallet, my keys, my phone. I think it's a stroke of genius. That's what I tell my family, right? It's just a big picture guy, thinking about other things. It was so bad, about nine months ago, I went to the dollar store and just bought a little storage container, plastic storage container that I put right on the counter when I come into the kitchen and just dump my wallet and my keys and, and my phone. And it's, it's really helped, right? So this woman, she loses one silver coin. There's some Bible commentators, uh, Bruce suggests possibly that these 10 silver coins was a necklace that was given to her when she was, was married. And so this silver coin has monetary value, but also that sentimental value of being connected to, to her marriage. We don't know for sure that that is a possibility, but this coin does have value to her for her to carefully and persistently search until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice for me, for I have found the peace which I lost. The same response of joy. I have found this, this peace that I have lost. I want you to come and celebrate with me. I want you to come and enter into this joy that what was lost has now been found. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The angels know the wonder of someone repenting and trusting Christ as their Savior, of being born again, of receiving everlasting life. And there's joy that erupts. In Isaiah 62, verse 5, it says, The bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. In Zephaniah 3.17, it says, The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. For those of us that are parents, it reminds us when our kids are little. You quiet them with your love, right? We have a father who quiets us with his love. Sometimes you sing over your kids when you're holding them. And we have the ultimate father that, that sings over us. He will rejoice over you with singing. This expresses the joy of our Father when we come into right relationship with Him. So we have the lost coin, we have the lost sheep, but now we have the lost son. And the lost son has the greatest value, even more so than the sheep, even more so than the coin. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he, divided to, so he divided to them his livelihood. This younger son has the ultimate entitlement mentality. His dad's not even dead yet, and he's asking for the inheritance. Give the inheritance that's due me, and go ahead and whip out the checkbook, or get out your app, get out Venmo, and just... Send me over my inheritance right away. He does not respect the amount of work that his father has done to save, to save, to save, to save, to have this inheritance to give. He just says, I want this right now. And what's so surprising is that the father says, okay. The father says, here, I'm going to give you your inheritance. You can do with it what you would like. I believe the father knew exactly the heart of his son. He knew that in his son 
was rebellion, that his son was not going to use this money wisely, but he still gives the inheritance. The father represents God, represents our, our heavenly father, and God in his love for us allows rebellion. We have the choice of our will. We can choose to walk away from the Lord. We can choose to have this entitlement mentality. We can take the gracious inheritance that he has, has given to us and, and squander it. There's a, a lot of parallels here for parents. And as parents, one of the things that terrifies us is our kids have their own will, don't they? They, they get to choose. Man, I'm chagrined of my parents making choices for me, but I want to make all the choices for my kids, right? But they grow to be adults and they have their own choice and they get to choose whether they want to believe in Christ or walk with Christ or, or walk away from Christ. And the father here doesn't take away that choice. We can't take away that choice. Each person gets that choice because in that choice is a real loving relationship. They're, they're choosing to respond to God's love, that they're choosing to, to walk with the Lord. In verse 13, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Just a few days after receiving his inheritance, he packs up his stuff and he goes, and he gets as far away from the father as he can. He journeys to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living, with, with sinful living. When he does choose to come home, the older brother says, you've wasted the inheritance on harlots. So we know he's engaging in sexual sin. I'm sure he's engaging in partying, alcohol and drugs, and just, I'm going to live life to the fullest. Notice the father allows him to go. The father doesn't try to stop him. The father doesn't give a lecture and say, hey, don't go do this. He says, all right, if you're going to go, you're going to go. I'll be here for you when you come back. I love you, but you can have this opportunity to go and waste this inheritance on sinful living if you choose. But when he'd spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. He spent it all. Hebrews tells us that sin is pleasurable for a season. If anybody tells you sin's not fun, they're lying to you. It is fun, but the problem is the season wears out, doesn't it? And then there's the consequence of sin. We've set this wrecking ball on our lives, and eventually all of the money is spent. All of the inheritance is gone. Bad timing. Now there's a severe famine in the land. And he is in a place where he now began to be in want. God loves us enough to allow us to choose, but also where we can experience the consequences of our sin. I don't know that the prodigal would have come back to the father if he hadn't experienced the consequences of his sin. As a parent, first, you need to understand that your kids' choices are not necessarily a reflection of you, and that, that's hard. You know, we we want to overly take credit for their successes and overly take care, take credit for their failures. Is the father wrong in this story? No, the father's not wrong. Is God wrong with Adam and Eve? No, it's Adam and Eve that, that sinned. It's this young son who, who sinned. 
and you have poured into and poured into and poured into your child, and I'm sure for some this morning, you have a, a prodigal son, you have a prodigal daughter, and you didn't do it perfectly. I've yet to meet a parent who's done it perfectly, right? We all make our mistakes as parents, but you poured into your child, you loved them, you prayed for him, tried to raise them in the ways of the Lord, and right now, they've walked away from the Lord. That's not necessarily a, a reflection on you. That, that's a choice that, that they make. And here, the ultimate father, God, our heavenly father, has a son who, who rebels. But God, in his love for us, allows us to experience the lack, the want. And that encourages us as parents as well. It, it's hard to learn if you don't experience the consequences for your choices at age-appropriate levels. I grew up with a wood stove in our home in, in Southern Oregon, and it got piping hot. And you only touch it once when it's piping hot, right? You're like, speaking of genius, I figured this out. This is really hot. <laughs> and also, you might find yourself this morning where you go, you know what? I've walked away from the Lord, and I've been doing my own thing, and I'm experiencing lack. I'm experiencing lack in my soul. I'm experiencing some of the consequences that come, and God is calling you home. He's calling you back to himself. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country that he, that he sent him into the fields to feed swine, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. That's pretty bad when you don't even get the pig food. If you've been around pigs, they don't get great food. Normally, you take all of your slop, you put it into a bucket, and you feed it to the pig. So here he is caring for the pigs, but he is not even given any of the pig food. Also, this is a, a Jewish audience. He's speaking to the scribes and Pharisees that are criticizing him for spending time with sinners, and swine are unclean. In verse 17, but when he came to himself, he came to his senses. We're going to see several things about the son here. He came to his senses. And what an awesome moment this is in our lives when we come to our senses. When we realize, man, I've walked away from the Lord. I'm in the pig pen of the world. And it's not working out too well. This pornography is killing me. This relationship that God calls sin is, is actually destroying me and destroying the person that I'm with. This bitterness that I'm holding on to so, so dearly is bringing destruction. And the light bulb goes on. It, it's God and his grace where, in a sense, we hit rock bottom and we realize life is not good here and I've got to get back with my father. But the question for us is, where is rock bottom? Thankfully, this young man came to his senses. Will we come to our senses this morning? Will we come to realize, man, I, I've walked away from the Lord. I need to get back and I need to get right with the Lord. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger? After coming to his senses, he remembers his father's goodness. And this is so important. He's thinking about his dad. And he goes, man, my dad takes care of his hired servants. And the hired servants have food and they have some to spare. And here I am starving to death. And I want you to remember what it was like in your father's house. If you've walked away from the Lord, remember that time when you would spend with the Lord, when you'd wake up and you'd read his word, where prayer was important to you. 
being in fellowship with, with believers. And God wants to restore us to that place. Remember his goodness. Remember his love. Remember that he alone is the bread of life. That all of these things that we're pursuing, these pig pens of the world, they can't satisfy. It'll chew us up. It'll, it'll destroy us. Jesus is the, the abundant life. Remember the, the Father's goodness. And then as he remembers his Father's goodness in verse 18, I will arise and go to my Father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He arose and returned. And this is so important. You can remember your father's goodness, but not return. He returns. He gets up and he makes this long journey to go back to his father's house. And notice he acknowledges his sin. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to to be called your son. There's confession. There's humility. There's no more of this entitled mentality of, of give me my inheritance. We talked about this a bit on Wednesday night of humility, that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. There's humility here. I've sinned. He's not blaming the father. He's not blaming his older brother. He's taking responsibility for his sin, and he acknowledges that sin. And there's no sin that's beyond the forgiveness or restoration of God. As we confess our sin, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would we humble ourselves this morning? God, I've gotten off track. Here I am in the pig pens of the world. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve your blessing. I don't deserve your, your forgiveness. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. He's welcomed home. He's welcomed home. The father did not chase the son or or prevent the son from departing. But you better believe he was watching every day for the son to return. It's almost as if the the father would find a vantage point where he would look down the road with hope, with anticipation that maybe this is the day that Johnny's going to return home. Maybe this is the day where he's going to come back and he's watching and he's looking and he, oh, there's Johnny. That's, I know his walk. That's my son. That's my boy. And he chooses in that moment to run to the son and to to welcome home. From my understanding, this is the only place in scripture that we see God depicted in being in a hurry. God is in a hurry to restore us unto fellowship with him. It was undignified to run at this point in, in history. The dad's probably wearing a robe. He had to pull up his robe and he's, he's running with his robe to, to get to his son. Do you think that this was what the son expected? What we don't find from the dad is, is how could you? How could you? Do you know how hard that I worked for this money, for this inheritance? Do you know all that your mom and I invested in you? And now you're just going to walk back in here and ask to be one of the hired servants? He doesn't do any of that. I want you to see the love here. His father saw him and and he had compassion. This is our heavenly father. He's compassionate towards us. 
and he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And in the Greek, he's continually kissing him. This is not just once. He's weeping on his son's neck and he's kissing him and he's kissing him and he's kissing him. It's so good to see you. I'm so glad that that you have come home. If there's rejoicing over the sheep and rejoicing over the coin, there's so much more rejoicing over the son who has come home. If you've walked away from the Lord and you come back to him, this is the response that you're going to get from your father. He's going to be compassionate. He's going to welcome you with running arms. He's going to run to you and embrace you and kiss you. In verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. In verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. The father is gracious. A man wrote by the name of last name Pat, the depth of the son's repentance is matched only by the depth of the father's love. Don't you write, love that? The depth of the son's repentance is matched only by the depth of the father's love. He, he's gracious. He gets the best robe and he puts it on him puts a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And this speaks of the grace in Jesus Christ. That we're robed in Christ's righteousness. The Father robes us in Christ's righteousness. Church, that's the best garment. (laughs) It doesn't get better than Christ's righteousness. We're broken, we're sinners. We've been in the pig pen of the world. And the Father says here, here's my son's righteousness. The ring speaks of sonship, He's saying, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I don't even expect to be a son. I'll be a servant. He's humbled. And the dad's like, no way, no way. You're my boy. Here's this ring to remind you. And the gospel, the grace of God, is that we're sons and daughters, that we've been adopted, joint heirs with Christ. Sandals, he probably is not even wearing shoes. He's in such poverty. But sandals are placed upon his feet. We are shod with the gospel of peace. We get to wear gospel shoes as believers. God has granted us forgiveness. Remember in the Old Testament with Moses at the burning bush, God says, I want you to take off your shoes, take off your sandals, because where you're standing is holy ground. That was the old covenant. In the new covenant, God graciously puts the sandals of peace on our feet. And the dad is rejoicing with a fatted calf. It's time for a barbecue. Filet mignon, we're going to do this upright. If meat costs anything then like it does now, this was quite the celebration. The best cow, the fatted calf that they've been saving for a celebration. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to be married. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. This is not a planned celebration. This is not a birthday. This is not 4th of July. This is not any feast that was scheduled. Why is there music and dancing coming from the house? So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he's 
received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. He did not expect this. Your younger brother's home. He's safe. He's sound. Your dad's so happy about it that he killed the fatted calf. Notice the older brother's response, but he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. He's angry. He's upset. Dad, why would you do this? Why would you kill the fatted calf for for the brother? And here the father comes and, and pleads with the older son. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Two things stand out to me in verse 29. I've never transgressed and you never gave. I've never sinned and you never gave. That's the attitude of the older brother. Who is Jesus calling out here? He's calling out the scribes and the Pharisees that are angry at Jesus for the grace that he's showing to the sinners and the tax collectors, that Jesus would share a meal with sinners and tax collectors. I suggest to you this morning there's two prodigal sons. There's two prodigal sons. There's the one who went to sinful living, and there's the other who never went to prodigal living, but his heart is far from the father. He's kept up this outward morality. He's worked hard, but he's not aware of his own sin in his heart and he's not connecting with his father and he doesn't know the heart of his father. Because if he knew the heart of his father, he would be rejoicing. If he was in that right relationship with the father, he'd be like, yeah, this is awesome that my brother has come home. And for some of us, this may be where we're at this morning as bitterness and resentment has come in our hearts because we're over here going, God, look how hard I've worked. And then here's this person that has walked away from you and come back to you and they got the fatted calf and I haven't even got a young goat. Don't you see how hard that I've worked and I've been trying to live my, my life towards you? And, and who is the older son angry at. He's angry at the father. He's saying, I've never transgressed and you never gave. He's bitter and resentful towards the father, the graciousness of of the father. And if that's where we're at, we've got to repent as well in our hearts to say, I've missed it in my heart. I'm going through the right motions outwardly, but inwardly my heart is wrong. And that's what's so scary about the scribes and the Pharisees is they did the right thing outwardly, but they totally missed it in their heart. So in verse 30, but as soon as this son of yours, can't you hear the contempt came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. He's he's also upset at the younger brother. He took all the money, he took the inheritance and just totally devoured it, squandered it with harlots, In verse 31, and he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. The father affirms his love and his relationship with the son. He says, you're my son and you'll be with me always. All that I have is yours. Verse 32, it was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Son, it would be right for you to rejoice because your brother was lost 
and he was now found. For us this morning, there's a couple of applications. And the first is this, is to know that Jesus is pursuing you, that you are loved and you are valued by him. That's the message of the lost sheep. That's the message of the lost coin. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you've got to know that you're loved by God. Where Jesus seeks and saves the lost, he's on this passionate pursuit for those that don't know Christ as their Savior. And would you this morning choose to turn from sin, to believe the gospel that Jesus died for your sins and rose again according to the scriptures? And allow God to forgive you of your sin, invite him to be the Lord of your life, for him to be gracious to you, to give you a robe of Christ's righteousness. Amazing that we're loved and we're valued by God to that extent. And then to look at the lost son. Is it possible that we've walked away from the Lord? Is it possible that we've taken the blessings of God and we've gone to places that we never thought we would be? And maybe this morning you're in a relationship that you know you're not supposed to be in. You're having sex outside of marriage and that sexual sin has become more important than your relationship with God. You're with somebody who's not your spouse. You're with somebody that you're not married to. You've started to engage in sexual sin and yet you're coming to church and the Lord and his spirit is, is calling to you. He's speaking to you that, hey, this, today's the day to leave that relationship. Right now is the time to write that text and say, hey, we're not supposed to be in this relationship. I've got to get back with, with my father. Is it that your life's being consumed with the abuse of alcohol and it's beating you down and it's beating you down and it's beating you down. The abuse of drugs. And there's this emptiness in your life and you're like, there's gotta be something else. And God's calling you back to the Father. He, he wants to set you free. Are you in that prison of anger and going to anger and it's getting the best of you and in the midst of that anger, you've walked away from the Lord. The Father's watching. He's waiting for you to come back. You're the child of God. You've trusted Christ as your savior, but walked away from the Lord. He's ready. And as you choose to arise and return, the father's gonna run to you and he's gonna embrace you and he's gonna be gracious to you and restore unto you the joy of your salvation. But you gotta come back. Maybe you're the second prodigal, the older brother. And you're like, I, I go to church. I, I tithe. I'm not in sexual sin. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I'm squeaky clean. But in your heart, you're at this place of bitterness and resentment and you feel like God has shortchanged you and God's grace is not alive in your life. Just because you may be able to keep the exterior of your life clean, it doesn't mean that there's not sin in your heart. If we're honest about our hearts, we know the wickedness of, of our own heart. It's not that the younger son needed God's grace more than the older son. They both needed God's grace. The problem for the scribes and the Pharisees is they didn't realize their sin. And that's quite a statement. I've never transgressed. And for you too to come back to the Lord, 
to come to the Father and say, Father, somehow I've missed your heart. Somehow in trying to be obedient, I have missed your heart. Yes, be obedient, but get the heart of the Father. Understand his grace and be willing to extend his grace. And then when God's gracious to a sinner, you're like, yes, yes, the lost was found. Thank you so much that you've been gracious to me and you're being gracious to this person over here. But more than anything else this morning, I hope that you see who God is through the parable of the prodigal. This beautiful portrait of our father being compassionate to the prodigal coming back. A.W. Tozer has a quote that says, the most important thing about you is what first pops in your mind when you think about who God is. When you think about who God is, what pops to your mind? And if it's this angry, vengeful God that's just waiting to pour out judgment, you've got it wrong. Now, does God pour out judgment? Does he hold us accountable for sin? Absolutely. But he doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. He longs to pour out grace and forgiveness. He's gracious. He's long-suffering. He's compassionate. And you know what? His heart, his heart is towards you. God is emotional. His emotions don't rule him. He obviously doesn't sin in his emotion, but we're created in God's image and God rejoices. When someone gets saved, he's like, yes, yes. Way more than the Super Bowl, right? He rejoices. When a prodigal comes back, he weeps out of joy, going, oh, my son, my daughter, they're back. They're back. They've come to this point of, of reckoning. They've come to this realization that I need to be back with the Father, and, and he welcomes them back. So as we sing in just a moment, there's opportunity to respond. The Spirit of God is, is here with us, and it, if you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior, you realize Jesus has been pursuing you, you've never made that decision, would you come forward? Would you, would you make the long walk? I think it's the longest walk in the city from your blue chair to the front of the sanctuary, but to say, I want to trust Christ as my Savior. And guess what? Heaven's going to erupt in rejoicing. The ultimate Super Bowl party. Or if you need to come back to the Lord. In either direction, from the perspective of the older brother or the younger brother, come. There's something about responding to what God's doing in your life right now. Say, I have not been where I should be and I need to get back with the Father. Come and receive prayer. Also online, there's a team available to respond as you respond to the message of salvation and also to, to come back uh, to the Lord. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are gracious, that you're merciful, that you're compassionate that you invite us to come back to you. Would you search us? Would you know us? Would your spirit do your work in our lives? For those that don't know you, would you reveal your love to them? Lord, for us as believers that need to come back to you, we thank you that you welcome us home. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.